The prophet Isaiah, chapter 50. We have been discussing from the book of Matthew this subject of being a disciple. And we know that the, the commission, the great commission as some have worded it, that the commission states that the church is to make disciples of all the nations. And there's many ways that we can define what a disciple is. And of course, you know that I've been defining it. I, am, I was going to ask you what it was, but I'm not going to take that uh, daring step. <clears throat> but that a disciple is a learner-follower. And that comes from just looking at different passages that talk about discipleship and that type of thing. But if you want to see discipleship modeled, you look at the perfect man. That is Jesus Christ Himself. Jesus Christ is the Son of God, is He not? And yet, He became a man. And as a man, He was discipled. So therefore, He had to be a what? He had to be a disciple. And when we look at that, and we look at the sinless Lord Jesus Christ, we walk away looking at what is, you could call it the par excellence, or you could call it the standard, but... I'm calling it the model. He is the model that we are to look at when it comes to our own personal discipleship. When a person gets saved, they are a disciple. And from that point on, they are to be a maturing disciple. We'll never be a perfect disciple, at least not in this life. But we should be a maturing disciple. And in fact, our Lord Himself gave inference that we are to use Him as that model when it comes to our own discipleship. He stated in Matthew 10, verses 24 and following, I'll read it for you, a disciple is not above his teacher, nor a slave above his master. It is enough for the disciple that he become, what? Like his teacher. And the slave, like his master. And of course, the application that our Lord is going to use in Matthew chapter 10 is that if they called him, who is the head of the house, who is the master, who is the teacher, if they called him Beelzebub, how much more will they malign the very members of his household? In other words, we're going to be bearing the same characteristics as our master to some degree. But the point that I'm using the passage for is this, that a disciple is not above his teacher, But the greatest thing that could happen in our life is that the disciple become like his teacher. 
And of course, Romans chapter 8 says that the ultimate goal is that we are to be conformed into the image of Jesus Christ himself. So it is appropriate then for us as maturing disciples to look at the model disciple. Not that we might overtake him. Not that we would say in our heart, we'll be a better disciple than he is. Impossible. But that we would be like him. And if we are like him, then we are following him and we are being conformed to his image. So as he is the master learner follower, we are to be conformed into that same likeness. Now in Isaiah chapter 50, verses 4 and following, this is really not the only place, but this is really the foundational passage that really gives to us the model disciple's attitude when it comes to his own discipleship. So I'm going to begin reading here in Isaiah 50 and verse 4. The Lord God has given me the tongue of disciples that I may know how to sustain the weary one with a word. He awakens me morning by morning. He awakens my ear to listen as a disciple. The Lord God has opened my ear and I was not disobedient, nor did I turn back. I gave my back to those who strike me and my cheeks to those who pluck out the beard. I did not cover my face from humiliation and spitting. For the Lord God helps me. Therefore, I am not disgraced. Therefore, I have set my face like flint. And I know that I will not be ashamed. He who vindicates me is near. Who will contend with me? Let him stand up to each other. Who has a case against me? Let him draw near to me. Behold, the Lord God helps me. Who is he who condemns me? Behold, they will all wear out like a garment. The moth will eat them. And I don't know if as you were listening and as we were reading together verses 8 and 9, if you did not think about Romans 8. There is no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus. Who can condemn us? For it's God, it's God who justifies us. And He is for us. And so we have the same type of implications for the Jesus Christ, the Son of Man, as it is for those who are His disciples. Now I want to look at, I've divided this passage up into two categories. And I'm borrowing this from a pastor who is now with the Lord. And we're going to look at the listening ear of a disciple. 
and then the following foot of a disciple. And that follows exactly what I've been saying, that a disciple is a learner-follower. That pastor once said that every believer has a listening ear and a following foot. And that's based on John chapter 10. A disciple has a listening ear. And it all begins with the ears. This is where it starts. It started with our Lord's ear. And it begins with our ear. If you look at verse 4 and you look at that third phrase, He awakens me morning by morning. He awakens my ear to listen as a disciple. The Lord God has opened my ear. It all begins with our ear. Now brethren, there is no greater thing that you and I need to learn. And notice I said learn. And that is to learn to listen and to be attentive. This is one of the things that is really the the bane of our society today. People don't listen. And they don't certainly don't listen with attentiveness. They're distracted by the world around them. They're distracted by the things that are going on in their heads. They're distracted by their phones. They're distracted by their to-do list. They're distracted by what's coming up during the day. Everything is geared in this society for us to relax and not listen and not be attentive. But the point that I'm making is, is we have to learn this. This is the reason why one of the things that we did with our children very, very early, and I'm talking about one, two, three years old, was to teach them to be still and to listen. This is our life, to listen and to be attentive. And we see that here in this passage. He awakens me. Now, of course, the context of this is probably rising up from sleep. But isn't it true that we can be asleep and not be asleep? And if you've ever been in an educational context, I've taught in Bible college, teachers know that they can go to sleep with their eyes open looking at you. They're looking at you, but they're not there. They're gone. They're out in the imaginations of their mind. They're picking daisies. They're thinking about their parents. They're thinking about their homework. They're thinking about whether they agree or not with what they're hearing. And if we're sitting around forming opinions in our heart and mind all the time, then we're really not paying what? We're not paying attention. And we've got to be attentive. If we're not attentive on this level, you will not be attentive on this vertical level at all. 
And our Lord was attentive. Would you not agree with that? He paid attention to the Father's instruction. So it begins with our ear, and number one, we must be awakened. Number two, this must be consistent. It says, He awakens me morning by what? Morning by morning. If we're talking about getting up in the morning and having what we call devotions or a quiet time or just a time to be with the Lord, you are not going to be a person with a listening ear if those devotions are just hit and miss during the week. And you just think about it. Think about <clears throat> exercise. Maybe that's a bad subject. We all, let's, you say exercise, we all feel convicted. Okay, but let's think about exercise. If I want to run 10 miles three months from now, what must I do? I have to run, right? And I have to do it consistently. If I just do it hit and miss, then when that three-month time limit is over, I may get to struggle to finish the 10-mile run, but I won't enjoy it at all. You've got to be consistent. You've got to set aside some time, <clears throat> 10 minutes, 15 minutes, 20 minutes, whatever you have. <clears throat> if you're retired, you have more time. If your children are out of the home, you have more time. If <clears throat> you're a teenager, you would have more time than someone else. If you're homeschooled, you certainly would have more time. You don't have to get on the bus, travel somewhere, all that type of thing. But you've got to move from being inattentive to being attentive, learning to listen, and you've got to do it morning by morning. You have to be consistent with it. And I think that's one of the things that's really helpful with our Bible reading. You don't have to be consistent in your Bible reading, you know, 40 days through the Bible or reading the Bible through a year. Uh, there may be days providentially that you get a day or so behind, but, you know, you're able to what? You're able to kind of catch up with it. But if you get about three months behind, that's almost impossible to catch up. We have to be believers that are manifesting our discipleship by developing our ear and doing it consistently, morning by morning. Brethren, you have seven days in a week to be consistent about this. And you have a Wednesday night and a Sunday morning and a Sunday afternoon message that you can practice listening and being attentive. 
if you're homeschooled and you've got a video or something like that, you even have more opportunity to develop a listening ear to who you're listening to. And I want to encourage you, even outside of the things with the Lord, learning to listen will reap massive benefits in your life. It will give you wisdom. It will teach you how to answer people if you would learn to listen. So He wakens me morning by morning. And then we have to be awakened to listen as a disciple. Now this is our attitude. I think a lot of believers approach their time with the Lord with another attitude than a disciple. They might approach their time with the Lord like a to-do list. What do you do with a to-do list? Well, whatever the to-do is, when you accomplish it, you what? You mark it off your list. I think that's the way a lot of people approach their mornings or their evenings with the Lord. They even can approach their church's services with the same spirit. We've got to have the right attitude. What would it mean to be awakened to listen as a disciple? Well, we've already begun to talk about that. It starts with your what? Your ear. Learning to listen. And that means you're going to have to work at it. Do you think the world wants you to listen to God? Do you think the world, do you think your job place puts a high value on your time with the Lord and learning to listen to Him? The answer to that is what? Absolutely not. We're surrounded with life and vocations and schooling and demands and worldliness and our own flesh and the evil one. And on top of all that, our flesh is weak. We get up, we feel kind of rested. We're ready for the day. We pick up our Bible and all of a sudden we start yawning and getting tired. Until the time's over and something happens that you really like and enjoy and all of a sudden you're really energized. We've got to learn to have the right attitude when we open our Bibles. When we open our Bibles, I'm coming to my Bible to be instructed, which means I'm coming to my Bible to know and be instructed by what it actually says. That exercise is just not an exercise for the pastor to make sure that he's preaching the right thing. 
That's an exercise that you're to be having every day in your walk with the Lord. But then, this attitude of a disciple is opening my Bible to be instructed, but it's also opening my Bible to do it. In other words, I'm coming to my Bible, as it were, and saying, Lord, you instruct me on how I'm to walk, and by your grace, I'll what? I'll do it. That's the spirit. Any other spirit or any other attitude other than this model disciple, Christ Jesus himself, is falling short. We don't want to be like a two-year-old. How long are their attention spans? I mean, if you've got a two-year-old Sunday school class, do you go in there with an hour systematic theology telling them to turn in their Bibles and to have a sustained argument for an hour? Yes or no? No, you know their attention span is about this big. It's about 15 seconds, maybe. Two to three minutes if they're beginning, if their parents have been teaching them to pay attention. We don't want to be like that. We don't want to be like that at all. We want to be <clears throat> like Mary who chose the good portion sitting at Jesus' feet. And did Jesus commend her? And folks, I don't want you to take what I'm about to say and run with it to some extreme, but I do think it's very important that we choose the good portion even if we have to delay other things. That's what Mary was doing, right? Her sister Martha got upset about it. And I'm not saying to go around and make people upset. I'm not saying not to make your appointments or show up late at work and just tell the boss, I'm sorry, the Lord is speaking to me out of the Bible. He isn't going to get it at all, and he might just say to you, well, go and let the Lord speak to you in the Bible. You just lost your job. <laughs> it is the Lord's will for us to show up on time at work, right? Okay. But sometimes I think when we get up, we do other things that could be delayed. So we've got to have the right attitude. It starts with a listening ear, learning to listen with attentiveness. We must be consistent at it. And we must come to our time in the Bible, whether here, it's here at church, or whether it's at home privately, we've got to come to our Bible with the attitude of a disciple. And if we do that, and that really is in our heart, it's going to affect how you speak. Look at what he says here. <clears throat> Look at verse 4. The Lord God has given me the tongue of disciples. 
What is a tongue of a disciple? That I come to know how to sustain the weary one with a word. Our Lord always said the right thing at the right time, didn't He? His responses were always sinless. Now why does He put an emphasis on our speech or on our tongue? It's because our tongue is the rudder of our vessels. And folks, we dare not claim to speak in His wisdom unless we have been sitting quietly listening to His wisdom and being willing to walk therein. So what we have is the model disciple. Are we to be maturing in this? <clears throat> we are. And it begins with a listening ear. But that's not all. It has to have a following foot. <clears throat> this past week, I was reminded of this from a pastor friend of mine as I was listening to one of his messages. And he didn't say it quite like this, but he did make a statement similar to this. Our maturity as a Christian is not defined by what you've learned. It's defined by you practicing what you've learned. Now many believers think that it's, if they can answer Bible trivia, if they can give you ten reasons for that particular doctrine, if they can open their Bibles and prove the Trinity, then they think that they're mature. Maturity is not just learning. Maturity is learning and following what you've learned. <clears throat> Listen to what the model disciple said. John chapter 8, verse 29. He who has sent me is with me. He has not left me alone. And here's the reason why. Here's the reason why Jesus has not been left alone. For I always do the things that are pleasing to Him. Does everybody hear that? Just didn't say that He would be like the Sanhedrin and be able to quote their Bible. It's having a listening ear and a following foot. Listen to what James says. It's a little lengthy quote from James, but just practice your listening. Okay? Therefore, laying aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness, in gentleness receive the implanted word. There's the listening ear. Which is able to save your souls. <coughs> but become doers of the word. And not merely hearers who delude themselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, He's like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. 
For once he's looked at himself and gone away, he immediately forgot what kind of person he was. But he who looks intently, <clears throat> he who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty or freedom, and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, <clears throat> this man will be blessed in what he does. Do we hear that? <clears throat> it's not just learning. It's being instructed, learning, and then what? Doing it. Beginning to practice it. <laughs> And folks, learning it is the easy part. It's practicing it. That's the difficult part. <clears throat> Romans says, Paul writes, it's not the hearers of the law who are just before God, but the doers of the law will be justified. Learning to follow what you have listened to is the right spirit of a disciple. Now, <clears throat> that sounds all well and good. <clears throat> but learning to obey... is difficult. Would you agree with that? If I was to ask our children, is it, do you have to learn to obey your parents with the right spirit? Well, the answer is yes. They'd always tell me to do what I want to do. Learning is the easy part. Learning to practice it is what bears the difficulties. So, our ears are open. We're hearing instruction. What should our response be? You look at verse 5 of Isaiah 50. <clears throat> the Lord God has opened my ear, and I was not what? I was not disobedient, nor did I turn back. And that really is to be our attitude. We are listening attentively. We are learning to do that, to hear the instruction of what the Lord has said. And our response should be an act of our will. Our will should say, I will not be disobedient to what I've heard and what I've learned. Now, when you read that statement, <clears throat> the Lord has opened my ear and I was not disobedient, nor did I turn back. There is an implication here. 
that there are going to be pressures that would convince you to be disobedient and would convince you to turn back. Turn back from what? What you have been instructed. Right? And that's why I'm saying that learning is the easy part. A lost man can learn the Bible. He doesn't see it right. He may not understand it right. But he definitely can become a liberal theologian. And here's the reason why there's pressures. Because divine instruction is not always in agreement with ourselves. Divine instruction is not always in agreement with the course of this world. Let me give you some divine instruction. <clears throat> and in your heart, you can ask yourself, is this difficult or not? Okay? Can we do that exercise? Here we go. But I say to you, do not resist an evil person. Whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other to him also. Piece of cake, right? Well, if you're saying that, you haven't been slapped. Is that divine instruction? Yes or no? Yes. yes. And that passage really isn't hard to understand. It's the practicing of it. That's where the difficulty is. Let me continue. If anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, let him have your coat also. Let me continue. Whoever forces you to go one mile Go with him too. Difficult? Let me give you let me give you another one. You have heard that it has been said. You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, endure your enemies. Is that what he says? No. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. 
I'm going to say <clears throat> that you're going to find it impossible to love your enemies and to pray for them in the right attitude. You're going to need divine grace to do that. Now let me ask you, I've, I've just read, <laughs> I read three verses. How many verses in your Bible? I've read three verses. Is that divine instruction? Is it not to be obeyed? How difficult is it? Very, very difficult. And brethren, when you're in those situations, you're going to find pressures that cause you to turn back from that instruction. and to be disobedient. That's, that's, that's my whole point. My point here isn't to make us feel guilty. My point here is to say, this is the attitude of a disciple. His attitude is, I'm going to listen with all of my energies to be, dis, not, to be not distracted with what I'm listening to you from what the Bible is saying. I want to know exactly what you're saying. And I want to know exactly what you're saying because I will not be disobedient. At the same time, we know that it's going to be hard. And I'm reminded of you know, Jesus saying, you know, why, why do you invite people over to your house who have you over to their house? Why, why don't you go out and invite somebody who won't invite you back? That's not easy. Isn't it easier to be friends with friends? And brethren, here's the thing. God's ways are not our ways. And the divine instruction can become shameful. Look at verse 6 of Isaiah 50. <clears throat> I gave my back to those who strike me. So did Jesus turn the other cheek? Did He show love to His enemies? and my cheeks to those who pluck out the beard. I did not cover my face from humiliation and spitting. Now, I'm not sure what all that means, but on a physical level, brethren, what is your first reaction if you're, if you're spit upon? What's your first reaction? If you, get, if you get spit in the face, what's your first reaction? Mm -hmm. To cover your what? To cover your face so that what? You won't get spit on again. He didn't do that. 
divine instruction not only is difficult, but it can become shameful. And it's these types of pressures that every of God's one of God's people will struggle with. But again, it's not just learning about Him, it's actually following Him. And here's the beautiful thing about this. Those who hear and follow will know God's favor and God's help and God's vindication. Look at verse 7. What's the first word? For. Here's the reason why He gave His back to the smiters and His cheeks to those who pluck out the beard. Here's why. Verse 7. For the Lord God helps me. Therefore I am not disgraced. Therefore I have set my face like flint. I know I will not be ashamed. He who vindicates me is near. Who will contend with me? Let them stand up to each other. Who has a case against me? Let them draw near to me. Behold, the Lord God, what? He helps me. People who hear, people who learn and follow, people who are maturing their discipleship will know of God's favor and God's nearness and God's help and God's vindication. They will know, like Peter says, that God's Spirit rests upon them. And they will know what it means to have God's help because, look at verse 9, His enemies will wear out like a garment. The moth will eat them. In other words, they're just going to waste away. It's not an immediate vindication. But they're going to waste away like the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow will be gone. But I, a disciple of the Lord, will stand before Him. I will know His nearness. I will know His presence. I will know His grace, His strength. And I will know what the salvation of the Lord is. That's a great gift. So brethren, let's learn to listen. And let's learn to follow what we're listening to. Let us do what the end of verse 10 says.
Who is among you that fears the Lord? That obeys the voice of His servant? Last phrase. Let him trust in the name of the Lord and rely on His God. Everybody see that? <clears throat> and it all begins back in the privacy of an early morning routine. Morning by morning, drawing near to Christ through His Word, having the Holy Spirit illumine that Word to you, and that illumination will come when you give humble, attentive listening to the passage. Paul told Timothy, Consider what I say, and the Lord will instruct you. Drawing near to Christ with an attentive, humble ear and with a heart to obey. Even if what we learn is humbling and embarrassing and even shameful. Because in that situation, the Lord will give you grace and you will be drawing near to God and He will draw near to you and He will show you His salvation. And He will show you the goodness of God. Can we, can we just kind of refocus ourselves in preparation for the upcoming year and challenge ourselves with this and may God himself help us to be a mature disciple even in the label of being a disciple because the most greatest thing in life would be for a disciple to be like His teacher. Let's go to our Lord in prayer.